So tonight's uh, message lines up in, in a, a great way for, for where we are at and where many of you are in your lives right now as you're sort of making this uh, transition in your lives. Like tonight, we finished talking about the spiritual disciplines. Like even though, like we're nowhere near covering all the spiritual disciplines, right? I, I didn't even get to cover like a quarter of them. There, there's so many that we could really have focused on. But tonight, we are going to try to at least hit this, this capstone of one and, and talk about it. And I recapped it for you last week, but we had some major buckets that we've been talking about this summer, right? Like that first category of spiritual disciplines was to hear God's voice. We talked about being in the Word, meditating on the Word, memorizing the Word, spent a few weeks on that. So hearing God's voice, and then we spent a few more weeks having God's ear, right? And those were the, the disciplines of prayer and how to have hearts of prayer and follow after Jesus in prayer. So we had hear God's voice. We had um, have God's ear. And tonight, tonight I want to talk about a, a spiritual discipline that deserves its entirely own category, okay? Like this is one discipline with many facets, one discipline with many facets, and it is its entirely own category. In fact, it's a, it's a discipline that encourages all the other disciplines. It's a discipline that causes all of those other disciplines, like praying and reading and all those, it causes them to have their full effect. It's a discipline that puts you right in the stream of God's grace, of God's provision, of God's sustainment as you, as a disciple. Like, what I mean is this Discipline equips you, it encourages you, and it empowers you to do all those other ones on a deeper level, on a more meaningful level. So have I, have I set it up enough now, right? Are we ready to talk about it? Tonight we're talking about fellowship. We're talking about fellowship, and, and the way that we word this sort of category, like if the discipline is fellowship, the way that we word this category is belonging to God's body. Right, so having his ear, hearing his voice, and belonging to his body. Its own category, but also its own discipline. So let's get into it. Tonight, we're going to be in a couple different passages, but I want you seeing them for yourself. So get out your phone and get out your Bible and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. As you're turning there, let me go ahead and tell you the first point from tonight. We might have slides. I think we, I feel like we do have slides. But the, the first point from tonight should be that fellowship is a part of your Christian identity. Right? Fellowship, is, is it not in there? All right. Calvin, take a note on that if you could. Just uh, make sure I, I send an email about that. So, thanks. Okay. So, Fellowship is a part of your Christian identity, okay? Here in 1 Peter, the apostle Peter begins talking uh, of Christ, right? The chapter 1, he's talking of Christ. He's talking of our life with him. He's talking about what it looks like to be saved. And he talks about what it means that Jesus is our living hope. And the way that having Jesus as our living hope impacts our lives. Like, this is what this uh, book is about. And in this, we begin him talking about Jesus and then saying, so because of Jesus and because of the gospel, do these things. We see the word so or therefore, it's the same word translated a few different ways. 
Therefore, meaning because of all this stuff, because of Jesus, this is what you need to do. So look with me at the very beginning of chapter 2 of 1 Peter. And it says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So let's recap. So Peter's saying... If you have tasted that the Lord is good, that's a way of saying if you know Jesus, if you actually sincerely know him, then you need to put away the old and sinful. You need to put away the old and sinful, and you need to desire, what does he call it? The pure milk of the word. And in verse 4 there, we see what Peter means by spiritual milk, like That's used a lot in Scripture, like milk and meat and food, and and there's all these references. But here, Peter actually shows us what he means by pure spiritual milk. And what he's saying is that when he says milk, he actually means Jesus. Like he's saying, put away all these things and seek for Jesus. We see that at the beginning of verse 4 there, right? He just told them, like, seek milk, and then he starts out in verse 4, as you come to him. So the milk is him. As you come to him... A living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. So that him is Jesus. And we know that, one, because of the context with the milk, and then all of a sudden he throws this word him in there, right? Like we know it because of that, but two, because he's talking about the cornerstone. And we see in Scripture other times that Jesus is called the cornerstone. He's called the stone that is rejected. Like actually, Peter himself, this, you know, Peter wrote this book right here, but in, the, in Acts, in the book of Acts, Peter is giving a message, right? He, he gives a sermon, and even there, Peter says this. This is Acts 4, verse 10. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, he's talking to the Pharisees, whom God raised from the dead, by, the, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus, this is Peter, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you. The stone that was rejected by the builders and has become the cornerstone. So are you following here so far? Like flow of thought. Peter is saying Jesus exists. If you know Jesus, there's some things in your life that are going to change. One of those things is that you're going to put away all sin. Right? You're going to put it behind you. You're going to cast off the old self. And the other thing is that you're going to continue seeking Jesus. If you know Jesus, you love him, you put behind your sin, and you continue to seek Jesus. And continuing in verse 5 here, back in 1 Peter, Peter begins talking about what is happening as we seek Jesus. He's talking about that sort of quality and essence of what it means to seek. We do have points. Thank you. Awesome. They're on the screen now. Look at this, guys. Cool. You can go back up to the first one, though. Secret. Now you guys saw it. Oh, big deal, right? All right. So he's talking about the qualities of what it looks like to seek after Jesus. Get your eyes back on the text. Chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. I'm just going to read them again. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Here it is. You yourselves, so believers, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood and to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So are you beginning to see it? That the process of seeking Christ, which is what all of you, if you claim you're a Christian, that's what you're claiming that you're doing, right? You're claiming that you are following Christ. So the process of following Christ results in these words that you yourself 
like a living stone, would be built up as a spiritual house and a holy priesthood. So, so seeking Christ and being built up as a spiritual house and being in a priesthood, they're together. They're one. They're all part of the same process. You see how they're all tied in there in that sentence? And I want you to notice that it doesn't say that you're being built up as a living brick. Right? It doesn't say that you're being built up as a stone. Right? It says, as stones, you're being built into a house. Like The analogy here is like, each one of you is a brick and you are being built into a house together. Like one brick doesn't make a house. And notice that he doesn't say that you are becoming holy priests. Like each individual person is a priest. No, what he says is you are a priesthood, meaning that you belong together with other priests. So not only are you a, a brick, a stone that's being built into a house as a whole, but you are a priest that's part of a priesthood. And all this is tied into the fact that you are walking with Christ. So what, is, what does this all mean? Like, What am I trying to pitch to you here? It means that you're walking with Christ, right? You're, you're seeking him, you're putting away sin. It's done in the context of being with other people. Your seeking Christ and following after him is in the context of being alongside other living stones and being alongside other priests. It means, like I said at the beginning, that fellowship is a part of your Christian identity. You can't claim to be a Christian without claiming to be a part of the Christian church and to be alongside one another. It means that you can't claim to be putting away sin and following after Christ if you're not actively participating in the priesthood of believers. Let me say that again. Like You can't be built into a priesthood. You can't be built into a spiritual house if you are not being built alongside other people. In short, and you've heard me say this a lot if you've been around here any time, holiness is a team sport. Holiness is a team sport. Like seeking Christ is not done alone. One brick does not build a house and one priest is not a priesthood. So like when you go back to school or you go off to college for the first time or even if you're around here and you're sticking around here and you're just heading into this new season of ministry with us, like if that's you as a Christian, here's what you do. You're seeking fellowship. Right? You seek fellowship. That is like you seek the company of other believers. Because fellowship is the part of Christian identity. So if fellowship is this part of Christian identity that I'm talking about, I should probably define fellowship for you, right? Like we should probably talk a little bit about that because the word fellowship actually isn't in the text that I'm talking about, though it's describing it. So let's talk about what fellowship isn't first. Okay, fellowship is not getting together and eating pizza. Fellowship is not... Getting together and playing volleyball or spike ball or, or any of those things. Like many of you have been doing pretty much every night over the last several weeks. Fellowship is not a cafe night with board games and giveaways like we're going to do. Like all of these things that I just mentioned, they might be the sparks of fellowship, right? They might be the things that spur on fellowship. And they might be things that people in fellowship do together, but they in themselves are not 
fellowship. Like, if you notice, we don't say, when you come on Thursday nights, you're coming for a time in the Word, coming for a time of worship, and you're coming for a time in fellowship. Like, we don't use that word. We say you're coming for a time in community, right? To commune together. And the reason we don't use the word fellowship is because fellowship means so much more than that. Fellowship should not be limited to the fact that we're all going to hang out and play a game together. Fellowship is happening all the time. Worship, word, all of it is fellowship. And so there's a reason why we choose the word community. And that's because what I'm trying to say is that those things aren't fellowship. But what is fellowship? Is life commitment to one another causing life commitment to Christ. I'm going to say that again because like that's the definition that I have for you tonight. Like if you're going to try to remember anything about what fellowship is. Fellowship is the life commitment to one another that causes life commitment to Christ. When I say life commitment, I mean that it's a commitment of one life to another. Like, it is life-on-life relationship, the whole thing. I also mean that it's a life-or-death situation. You have crossed over from death to life if you are a Christian, and it means that you're with other people that also understand what it means to cross over from death to life. So it is a life or death scenario. Like fellowship is like the band of brothers found in an army platoon of, of, of an army that is about to go out to war. Fellowship is like the literal like fellowship of the ring in Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. Like life and death, living together, situational, going into something together. Like fellowship is fighting battles of sin together. It's living through pain and living through promise. It's living through hope and it's living through desperation. Like, it's not hanging out. Although people in fellowship do hang out, fellowship is rather like actual, deep, meaningful life on life. So, fellowship is a part of your Christian identity. And if you haven't noticed already, the implication here is this second point, fellowship You need it. You need it. Not only should this point be obvious because of the verse that I just read, right, and and like set up that you need it because it's an essential part of the life of a Christian, but I want to drive this point home further, and I want to go to the second text that we're going to be in tonight. It's just a couple chapters, uh, a couple books before this, but turn with me to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 3. Just a few pages over to the left, most likely, in your Bible, or I guess just a couple clicks away if you're on a phone or an iPad. Hebrews 3, verses 12 to 14. We're going to talk about why you need it and the rest of fellowship tonight. Here's what we're reading. Hebrews 3, 12 to 14 says this. Take care, brothers, meaning brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Now notice here in this text that the author of Hebrews is setting up a problem for us. The author is setting up a problem, and it's there in verse 12 that I just read. Like, the problem they set up is that believers in Christ, or those that claim Christ at least, those that claim Christ, they have the potential 
to fall into an unbelieving heart. There are those that claim to know Jesus that will and certainly can fall into an unbelieving heart. And they show at the end of verse 13 there, like if you're looking at the passage, verse 13 there, they show that this unbelieving heart can be caused by the hardening of your heart through sin. There are people that will claim Christ, but they will treasure sin in a way so deeply and so lovingly that they will slowly just fade away from the Christian faith because their heart has been hardened by their sin. That's, that's the problem that the author of Hebrews sets up here. Like this is the potential problem, but also the author of Hebrews gives the solution. The solution is also found in this verse. Look back at the beginning of verse 13 there. Like in the midst of this, the author says, but exhort, which means encourage. Right? Encourage in the faith. Like to exhort somebody is to speak into their life in a way that encourages them towards holiness. It's not just like a pat on the back, feel good. It's like an encouragement towards holiness. So like exhort, but exhort one another every day. And then in verse 14, He's sort of like this, like sandwich, right? It's like every other line. It's together. And then in verse 14, for we have come to share in Christ. So what, what's the solution, right, to this, this hardness of heart and the sin? Like, what is the solution? It's encourage one another. Not every so often. Not once a week in the college ministry. Not once a week on a Sunday morning. Not even once a week if you're part of a small group. It says, how often should we exhort one another? Every day. Exhort one another every day. That means whole life. That's what, that's what that passage means. When it says every day, it's not like whip out a calendar and check off the Monday that you made sure to exhort somebody. And then Tuesday, oh man, it's getting like late at night. It's, it's like... 10, 11 o'clock at night, I better make sure I text somebody and exhort them so I can check off, yep, I did that every day too. Like, that's not what it means. What it means is that day in and day out, your life, every day that you are living alongside other people, you are encouraging them towards holiness. And you are being encouraged towards holiness. Like, that's the solution that he gives us is that we encourage one another. So it's not just that you retreat to the Bible and that you sit alone in your room, and that you read it, and you let the Word of God exhort you, which is a great thing, and it can certainly do that. But that's not what he's saying the solution is. Notice he's not saying the solution is you can fix yourself. He's not saying the solution is you can listen to a podcast and all of a sudden be doing better. He's saying the solution is to exhort one another, to be with one another, to be in fellowship. So why do you need fellowship? Like I said in the second point, you need it because Scripture reveals to us that people can fall away, that people can give in to sin that hardens their heart and gives them an unbelieving heart. But, but the end of verse 14 shows that if you are a true Christian, and that's what he means by like, if indeed you hold fast to the confidence, right? Like he's saying like, if indeed you are a true Christian, that's what that statement means. If indeed you are a true Christian, you will not fall away. And one of the proponents of that, one of the causes is fellowship. So what we can equate is that if you are a true Christian, 
You are in fellowship. It is part of your life. You understand and you give into the fact that you need it. Like true Christians have true fellowship. No ands, ifs, or, or buts about it. Like if you are that true Christian, then you are like what it says right there, like a participant in Christ. Right? It says, for we share in Christ, like the, the CSB translates it, participant in Christ. Meaning like you are partaking in the body of Jesus, which is the church. So if I can just be like really bold, which I mean, you guys probably aren't that surprised that I'm, I'm saying this, but if I can be somewhat bold and, and just get down to like the heart of the matter, there's a statement that needs to be made, right? That statement is that it is doubtful. It is doubtful that a Christian that intentionally and consistently withdraws from fellowship it is doubtful that that type of person is a Christian in the first place. That's, I know that's a bold statement, but it's backed up by what I just said in 1 Peter. It's backed up what we see here in Hebrews. And if we had time, we'd go into another passage of Hebrews. And I'd back you up there too. But if you want to know about that, I can show you later. Come find me. I'll give it to you. But the statement holds true. It is doubtful that a Christian who intentionally and consistently is withdrawn from fellowship is a Christian at all. Because they're not participating in Christ. They're not a participant. They are not sharing in Christ. They're not allowing themselves to be built up as a spiritual house alongside all the spiritual stones. They're not allowing themselves to be part of a priesthood. And in fact, they are neglecting to meet with the body. They are neglecting it. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not saying that if you unintentionally miss out on the body that you're not a Christian, right? Like, at some point... Some of y'all are going to move, right, whether it's in the next week or two or months or years, and it's going to take a while to get into fellowship. Like it's, going to, it's going to take a few days, a few weeks. I mean, if you move down to Nashville, it might take a few months, right, Grant? Yeah, right? Depending on where you move to and what's available, it might be hard. It might be difficult. So I don't want, to, I don't want you to be like, oh, no, am I saved because I can't find a church because I can't find people to be around. Like, that's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about those that intentionally and willfully choose to abandon the body of Christ because they think they can do this thing on their own. That's what I'm talking about. And I know I'm preaching to the choir here because y'all are here on a Thursday night um, and you've stuck it out through the summer, right? Like, I know I'm preaching to the choir, so just take this as an encouragement. Okay, take this as an encouragement and just something to treasure in your life of something that the Lord says about being a Christian. All right, I think that's enough on, on that particular topic. Let's, let's go ahead and, and move on to what you should do about it, right? So if fellowship is part of your Christian identity, if fellowship is something that you need, then, then what should you do? You should seek it. Right? Fellowship, seek it. Look for it. Let's, let's look back at, at this current passage here, right? Take care, brothers, lest there be in any evil in you, but unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence. Like, guys, the obvious application here is that if you don't have those around you to exhort you every day, if that is something that's not currently in your life or you hit a spot in your life in which that's not happening, the obvious application is seek it out. Like, don't expect it to come to you, but go to it. 
You need to be intentional about having people in your life that are exhorting you. Now notice I didn't say you need to be intentional about having people in your life. But there's a filtering that needs to happen. You can go off to school, you can go off to work, you can go off to wherever you are and surround yourself with a lot of people. You can even surround yourself with a lot of Christians. You can even come to church every single Sunday and be surrounded. I mean, you walk into our church, you're going to be surrounded by 1,400 other believers. That does not mean that you're putting yourself in a place to be exhorted by them, that you're putting yourself in a place that they are going to speak into your life. There are plenty of people that walk through these doors every single Sunday that are not Christians. There's plenty of people that walk through these doors every single Sunday and they sit through that worship set and they hear the word of God and they do not participate in the body of Christ, right? The place that you are does not determine who you belong to. Just like if you walked into any other building, any other place in the world owned by any other group of people, it does not necessarily mean you belong to those people. So the obvious application is uh, you need to seek it, right? Seek for it. When you, whenever you get where you're going, be intentional. No one's going to do it for you. Your mom and dad might try to do it for you, but then the day they're still not going to be able to do it for you, right? They're just going to like try to give you some resources. So um, that's, that's the obvious one. And, uh, and that's why this is a spiritual discipline. We've talked about learning God's word. We've talked about praying it, meditating it, memorizing it. All of those take work. All of those take effort. That's why we call it a discipline because it requires discipline. And that's why this is a discipline. It's a spiritual discipline because we have to work hard at it. Because we have to hone our skill at being able to do it. And because the more we do it, the easier it gets. That's, that's why. So last point. The third one was seek it. I also want to flip that around and say fellowship, be it. Not only should you seek to have people around you that are exhorting you, right? But what, what did that passage say? That passage said, exhort one another, meaning it's a two-way street. So not only do you need to seek to be the one in fellowship, but you need to, or to seek to be in fellowship, but you need to seek to be the one giving fellowship. You need to seek to be the one exhorting. Like relationships are are two-way street. There's two people involved in a relationship typically. And you know what we call a relationship in which only one person is the means of the relationship? We call that parasitic. We call that being a parasite. Right? And one person is providing everything and the other one is just leeching and sapping it away. That's a parasite. Those are bad typically. And that's not what you want from the church. That's not what you want when it comes to being in fellowship. So, look back at the passage one last time with me and see how it starts. It starts right there in verse 12 with take care. Take care. The Greek word there is be intentional, essentially. That's what it means. Be intentional. Take action, be watchful, be persistent, be vigilant. That's like the summary of that word. And what that means is you need to do those things. You need to seek them. You need to be it. It's on you. And if you can't find it, it's still on you because you need to pray. You need to ask. You need to seek the Lord and ask for his provision even. 
Like have these things weighing in on your heart. So seek to be. Seek to be involved. Seek to be the one encouraging somebody. Seek to be the one who's present. Seek to be the one who is helping steer other people away from the deceitfulness of sin. You guys know as well as I do that in order to actually steer someone away from sin, you have to be close enough to them to know the sin. And you have to be close enough and on a level with them that you know what's going on in their life and that they're willing to share it. You have to seek depth and to be the depth. And I, I want to go over um, and I want to end tonight just with some practicals. You guys know I like to give you practicals, just things that you can do right now besides like the generalizations of seek it and, and be it, right? And, and the best practical that, that I can give you is in that other passage in Hebrews that I was talking about where it says, um, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, right? Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, if you want to check it out later. The practical is very easy because it's get to a place where you can be in a spot to consider, meaning let's start with just going to church, right? Let's start with getting involved in a church. Let's start with serving. Let's start with and being in attendance somewhere, right? And the reason why this matters right now is because many of you are about to be in a place where you could easily get away with not going, right? And where it's going to be hard. And you're going to have excuses. You're going to have reasons that you don't want to or can't, right? Whether it's, uh, oh, your friends or your roommates are about to go out and you really want to get to know them. You don't want to miss out on the opportunity. So you're just going to skip getting involved at this church right now. Or you really need a job and you really need to make this money. Well, like these passages aren't about make sure you make enough money, right? These passages are make sure that you exhort one another and that you're in fellowship. Like it's about prioritizing the actual ability to get there. Everything will be calling your name. Everyone is going to try to win over a part of your soul. And so the easiest application is just put yourself in a physical place to practice this discipline. Go to church. Find a college ministry. Stay in touch with the people here that are pushing you forward, right? Like that's the whole idea of this transition time is that you're heading into a time in which people are drawing you in, and yet we're back here, like the college ministry is here, like Pastor Robbie is there, like your small groups are here, and they're pushing you forward. They're encouraging you and they're saying, yes, get involved there. Get to know these people. Don't hold on here. Get into everything God has for you there. Dive fully in. So that's the best practical I can give you. And I just want to wrap up and say how cool is it? How cool is it that one of the, the disciplines that lets us practice all the others is as simple as showing up and being with people and being in their lives. I think about all the disciplines that are practiced even here on a Sunday morning. Worship, Scripture, hearing God, praying to God, hearing His voice, seeking grace, communion, fasting. Like all these things are practiced within a church. How cool is it that one of the easiest ways to dive into all of these spiritual disciplines we've been hitting all summer is to just show up and to just be involved and to continue trying to get further involved. It's the best I can give you, and here's what I want to do. I want to just pray for those of you that are leaving us, and then I want to pray for those of you that are staying with us. I want to pray for this discipline of fellowship in your lives. Father, 
I want to thank you for all those that have given their lives and time to us these past few months. Thank you that they have sought fellowship, Lord. That they have sought to be disciplined in this. That they have been committed to it. Lord, I pray that you continue them in that conviction of being disciplined in fellowship. I pray that they would continue to seek you. I pray you would empower them to do just that, Father. I pray that you would open up opportunities, conversations, connections that bring them to a new place of fellowship. Lord, put them in a place that causes them to exhort one another. Put them in a place that causes them to have people that they're speaking into and and having people speak into them. Lord, bless them. Bless them and keep them. Lord, shine your face upon them. Show them your graciousness. Show them your love. Work in their lives like only you can, Father. And reveal yourself to them like only you can. Father, I pray the exact same thing for those staying here. It's great to have them. We love having them week in and week out. And I pray, Lord, that you would bring more people, not for numbers, but you would bring more people so that we can continue exhorting one another. That we would see new people come into the ministry so that we can bring them into fellowship with us, Lord. That we can encourage them, equip them, that you can convict them. I pray for deep relationships, Lord. I pray for true friendship, true fellowship. And Father, in all these spiritual disciplines, all the ones that we've gotten to cover and certainly the ones we haven't been able to, Lord, I trust you and your Holy Spirit that you will continue to grow us in them. Lord, that we would see the fruit from this a year from now as we've talked about and worked through many of these spiritual disciplines. It's in Jesus' name that I pray.